Well, thank you, Brother Jeff, and thank you, church, for allowing me to come back here again. This is my fourth time to be with you, and uh, you came back again. Thank you. I know you didn't come for me. You came for the Lord, and it's good to be in God's house today. Is my mic on all right? All right. Okay, thank you. Okay. And uh, so I know you've been blessed with having Brother Gary Gates and, and Miss Ann with you for the last uh, few weeks, and uh, so he had to head back, I guess, to Alabama for this week, and and so I am the fill-in for the fill-in. <laughs> but I, I thank God for the privilege to, to be with you today. I know that uh, Brother Gary uh, was on the search team when he uh, put his name in to be the director of missions for the Brevard Baptist Association. And uh, he served the association well before he retired. And then Brother Mike Hoffman took over. And Brother Mike uh, uh, retired about the same time I did this last year. And uh, I was on the search team for the new director of missions, and as of last uh, Thursday, the association now has called a new director of missions. His name is Brother Jerry Thornton, and Brother Jerry comes from uh, all the way from Tallahassee, uh, Florida. He was the executive pastor of the Thomasville Road Baptist Church, and now he's coming to serve us. His daughter is the children's minister at First Baptist of Melbourne. So we're excited having uh, him with us, and I know you'll get to meet him in the days ahead, and uh, what a beautiful opportunity that he has and we have here as an association, and still have a strong enough association of about 65 churches to be able to have a full-time director of missions, or they call it now associational missional strategist. So, uh, and, I, and uh, I am thankful for churches like Central, churches like when I pastored O'Galley, for your contributions that you make not only to the Brevard Baptist Association, but uh, to the Co-Opter Program, and for the state of Florida doing great. You know, I don't know if you realize this, but the state of Florida is only one of the states that is giving actually more money to the Co-Opter Program and missions than any of the other states. They keep 49% and give away 51%, and God has been blessing because of that. And that's just a little bit of tidbit information, no extra charge for that, but I thought maybe you would enjoy knowing a little bit about what you are doing and how you're supporting the work of ministry throughout the Brevard Baptist Association. And I've always been thankful for churches working together, because that's really what the message is going to be about today, what the church is all about, and who we are as a church, and why we should love our church, and and, it, and I happened to catch Brother Gary's message last week on Facebook, and, and I saw he was preaching on the church, and I said, wow, it happens to be that as I've been teaching through the book of Ephesians, that that's what this message will be about as well. So God had it, that in mind for you today. So I didn't have it in mind, but God had it in mind more than anything else. If you have your Bibles, I would like to turn to the text you have up on the screen, Ephesians 2, uh, we'll be looking at verses 11 through 21, finishing uh, basically up that chapter. So Ephesians 2, 11 through 21. And uh, it goes on, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. And in those days you were living apart from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. 
Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. I love that verse. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Verse 17, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is who? Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Now, I've attended church basically my whole life. I cut my teeth on the pews and grew up going to Sunday school. My mother was a minister of music at the church where I grew up in Indian Town, Florida, and then later she was minister of music of a church in West Palm Beach. And um, I went to Sunday school. I attended RAs. Anybody still remember what RAs is? Okay, as Royal Ambassadors, a similar organization to Boy Scouts, but yet they are spiritual and they help people grow, boys grow. And uh, I went on to youth group on Thursday nights. I sang in the youth choir. And at that time, the youth choir, you know, was large. You know, we, and if you were a member of the youth group, you were a member of the youth choir. So there were about 30 or 40 youth in the youth choir. We went on mission trips. I went to Haiti and Jamaica and Puerto Rico and places like that as a teen. And later I felt called to serve the Lord when I was around 16 years old. And when it came to worship attendance, there was no question whether I would attend Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights and revival services twice a year. Now, you know, when you grow up in a home where your dad is pretty much saying, this is what you're going to do, uh, I remember as a teenager saying something like, Dad, you know, I really don't want to go to church today. You know, I really, I got something else planned with my buddies, you know. And I remember what my dad's response was, and probably some of you that are a little older may have made a response to your own children like this, as long as you put your feet under my table and eat the food that I, you know, provide for you, you will go to church. So I didn't have the opportunity to see growing up, that was before video cassette recorders and DVRs and all those things, uh, the wonderful world of Walt Disney on Sunday nights. And the only time I was ever uh, able to see that is that as I was sick, and I had to almost prove that I was sick, you know, <laughs> grow up and prove it, you know. So, uh, so, but as going up in church and seeing everything there is to do with churches, being in some ugly times in some of the churches I grew up in, uh, I, I saw things that were definitely not of God in the church. And if I was a non-believer looking at the churches and some of those that I had grown up in, I would have said I would never want part of the church or anything to do with people who call themselves believers. 
As a pastor for over 40 years, I'm committed to the local church. I am thankful that in the two churches I served since I went to seminary, that, that we did not have conflict. We did not have problems. We did not have issues that people left the church and started other churches in mass. And I am thankful that my two boys, my two sons, grew up in a church where they didn't see their father being, you know, hurt and negative things constantly being said. Oh, yes, there were times where people had negative things to say. Anytime you're in leadership, you know, you'll make decisions, and people will not always understand those decisions or agree with those decisions. But I believe that the local body of Christ has the potential to bring about great transformation in the lives of people throughout the power of God at work. Do you believe that? Oh, three of you do. Okay. Uh, I'll let you participate, okay? I'll let you do that. You can say amen or hallelujah or whatever. But there's great joy. There's great joy in seeing people find purpose, joy, and friendship to the local church. There's great joy in seeing Young people come to that point in their life where they give their life to Christ. There's great joy. One time when I had a lady that was 89 years old came forward and said, I want to give my life to Christ. You see, there's great joy in seeing transformation in people's lives. And so when you're part of the church, when you're the part of the body of believers called the church, the local body, which would be here Central Baptist, the larger body, throughout the Southern Baptist Convention and to all other denominations that are preaching Christ crucified, buried, and risen again. You know, there's great joy in being part of the church. You know, during COVID, how many of you miss going to church? How many of you miss? Three of you. Okay, okay. More of you. Okay, you're you're welcome. Raise your hand. It's okay. You miss going to church. It wasn't the same, was it? Sitting in front of the TV screen and or opening your phone, or whatever you were doing to trying to connect with the church. It wasn't the same. And for you that are still uncomfortable, you know, I'm glad that you're watching. Because it helps, but it's not the same as being in the body of Christ in presence. And you know, and I've heard people tell me, well, when I didn't go to church, I felt like my whole week was out of kilter. Did you ever feel that way? That something about Sunday and worship together, Fellowship together, discipling together, ministering together made a difference in our life. You know, and, and I want you to know that the church and what it does cannot be duplicated by any other organization in the world. Do you believe that? What we do as a church cannot be duplicated. And if a church is just a business and we're just about coming together and singing some songs and hearing a sermon and going home and that's all there is to it. That's not what God ever intended the church to be. The church is the ecclesia, the called out ones, the body of Christ, serving, ministering, caring, and meeting the needs of people around us. And I've noticed that people who worship with one, you know, with one people week in and week out, not only have strengthened their relationship with one another, they have strengthened their relationship with God. You know, not only does their Bible study get stronger, their prayer life gets stronger, and their most likely not to get quite as discouraged because they realize that they're not the only one with problems. Anybody have any problems? You can say yes, okay. We all have problems, don't we? It might be physical problems, it might be financial problems, it might be emotional problems, it might be family issues or whatever, but I want you to know we all have problems. 
And when we come together, the body of Christ, we don't come in as an elite group saying, look at me, I have no problems. Because we're members of one another. We lift each other up. We hold each other up. And and during times of trials, that's when the church really needs to come into action. The bottom line is that being faithful to the local church has the potential to make you a better Christian, a better believer. Now, this is not exactly shocking news. It's exactly what God intended to be, and through our relationship with Him, it is a personal one-on-one relationship. He never intended it to be an exclusive relationship. He designed us to not only to love Him, but also to love one another. Now, I'm sure that over the years you've heard messages on the one another's. You know, love one another, you know, help one another. It goes on and on and on, all the one another's. But the bottom line, if we don't love one another, the Bible tells us in 1 John and other passages that we don't love God. You see, you can't love God and not love one another. You can't hold grudges and not, you know, and, and, and not love one another. You see, you can't do that. Listen to John 13, 35. It'll be up on our screen. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Why? If you love one another. So the determining factor in the world today, the determining factor of what your neighbors will see is whether you as a church are loving one another. I remember growing up and I'd hear people get together and as adults, and all they would do is talk about the negatives of church. Did you hear that song and how offbeat they were? Or, 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 or that preacher just, he went on and on and on. He did the same point over and over again, you know. And all they had is negative things to say about the church. Our church doesn't do that, and our church doesn't do that. We should be like the church down the street, you know. And, and I don't want you to know that if you have that type of attitude, God won't bless. He won't bless you, and he won't bless his church. But if you love one another with an unfailing love, that love that Jesus loves you with, that love that Jesus loves you with, when he hung on the cross for your sins, his nails were put in his hands and his feet, and he he basically says, you know, I love you. When he said words like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about the unity of the church. It's God's desire that the universal church, all Christians of every kind throughout the world, live together in unity. And it's his desire that the local church, each individual gathering of believers, live together in unity. So let's look at some biblical truths out of our passage today that will help us to accomplish this. And unfortunately, it's not uncommon to hear people, you know, criticize the church, but it doesn't make sense. We all know the church isn't perfect. The old sad saying goes on over and over again, you know, that if you ever find the local church, you know, you find the perfect church, don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore. But let's not forget that in spite of her faults, the church is inexpressibly precious to God. The church, as we've already seen in this series, is God's inheritance in chapter 1, verse 18. The power of Christ exists for the benefit of the church in verse 22 of chapter 1. Ephesians says that the church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and that Christ died for the church. First 
first church I pastored when I was 23 years old was in High Paluxo, Florida. And the church had gone through a lot of trials and it was down to about 30 people. And the director of missions had served as the interim pastor for a while. And people didn't love each other. They didn't love each other. They, they, you know, and, and they, they were critical all the time of the church. And the neighborhood knew the church had difficulties. I remember as a young pastor thinking, I'm going to win the world and, you know, and, 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 and grow that church. I went out and started knocking on neighborhood doors. That's back in the day before they sick dogs on you and had gated communities. And uh, I knocked on the door and said, hey, I'm the pastor. For, and I won't give you the name of the church. And bam. I said, let me try another one. So it took about a year before that church began to grow, and thankfully before God called me on to go to seminary, the church had grown three times from what it was because the people started to love one another and the community began to take notice. Clearly God thinks more of the church more than the church often thinks of itself. This needs to change. Just as each of us individually need to recognize our identity in Christ, the church needs to recognize her identity in Christ. We need to know who we are. We need to know who the church is. And help us to do that, let's examine three biblical truths about the church. First of all, we are connected to one another. We are connected to one another. Some churches, you hear people talk, talking to each other, they'll say, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Why do they do that? When I baptize someone, I'll say, I baptize thee my brother or my sister. Well, they didn't grow up in my household. I'm an only child. I didn't have a brother or sister. But why do I say that? Because through the blood of Christ, we became blood relatives. And so every one of us who are believers in Christ are blood relatives through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And look at verse 21. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So being connected increases our effectiveness. Being connected increases our effectiveness. Now there's some vacant land. Believe it or not, there's still some vacant land around here. And there's some vacant land out near my house off of O'Galley Boulevard. Well, it's not going to be vacant much longer. In recent weeks, I've seen not only more buildings built, I've seen other land being cleared, a foundation has been laid, and all types of building supplies have been laid. Not laid, but been delivered, excuse me. And I've seen blocks and lumber and cement, drywall, roofing materials, and so on. And each of these supplies are capable of fulfilling their potential only in the context of the completed structure. Now, what good is a pile of lumber all by itself? Not, not much, really. But when that lumber is shaped into a frame, it becomes quite useful. What good is a stack of blocks? Not a lot unless those blocks are laid one by one and cemented together to form a wall, and they become quite useful. It's the same with us. We're capable of fulfilling our potential only when we're connected to a community of believers. And that's why God calls us to be part of the body of believers, the local church. 
because we become a whole lot more effective when we're joining together. Individually, we're just a pile of rocks or a stack of sticks. Together, we're God's holy temple. We can accomplish more together than we can on our own. Being connected increases our effectiveness. And that's what I love about being part of the Southern Baptist Convention. To think about, you know, those 6,500 missionaries serving around the world in international missions. To think about thousands and thousands of missions and thousands and thousands of new churches being planted every single day. And we all have part of that because we're connected to one another. So being connected increases our strength. Being connected increases our strength. That's, that's, that's something I want you to understand. When you're connected, your strength is stronger. You know, I, I read an article in the Reader's Digest, and I haven't seen one of those in a while, but I read how the roots of trees and, and even trees of different species can be linked together. And by linking together, each tree can tap the resources of every tree in the forest. The furthest tree from the water can draw from trees that are closest, and trees lacking in nutrients can draw from trees with an abundance. And this way, each tree has access to all the resources of the forest. Some redwood trees in California, and I had a privilege to see them a number of years ago, are over 2,500 know, years old. They stand 300 feet tall. I believe I have a picture up there. Now, the roots of the trees, they don't go quite as deep as you think they would do, but they're entwined with one another. So take your fingers, do this, and understand they're, they're entwined. So, you know, ever notice that when you want to lift someone up, and I don't know if anybody have ridden horses, but you kind of take your fingers and you entwine them and you help someone up? You can't do that with one finger very well, can you? You can't do that with two, but if you twine your fingers, you can carry a whole lot more. See, those redwood trees, even though the roots aren't as deep, they're entwined together, and they have additional stability during the high wind through the storm. Now, we've been going through a storm for over a year, the storm of COVID. As I made the statement I said to you earlier, as I told my staff when we started that, I said, listen, guys, I want you to understand this. I say, when all this is over, we may not have the crowds, but we'll still have the church. See, the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia, knows what it means to entwine themselves together. So when you're connected to a group of people, the storm is not as likely to knock you down. That's why it's so important that you pray for one another, that you let each other know that you're praying for one another. With all this communication that we go out going today, you know, every one of you should be praying for one another and, and sending each other texts and emails, and, and if you don't do that, stale mail still operates. Writing people a note and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Thinking about you, praying for your family, praying for your children. You know, because we need to be doing that. You need to be praying for your pastors and your leaders and those that are leading and teaching your Sunday school. You need to be doing that. Because when you're part of the church, the storms won't knock you down. But being connected increases our worth. Being connected increases our worth. You know, I talk with a guy who operates a salvage business. You know what he does? He goes around and he buys junk cars for 300 bucks a piece. 
And then you know what he does with his cars? He parts them out. And he'll take that $300 car and make it into a $3,000 car by selling off all the parts. So those parts are often worth more than the car itself. But that's not how it is with the buildings. No one ever buys a building or a house with the intention of breaking it up and selling off the parts. If you've ever seen houses demolished, what do they do? They just knock it down and they carry it out to the dump. With a building, though, the completed structure is worth more than the total of its raw materials. And it is with the church the same way. And that's why we're compared to a building, not a salvage yard. So do you want to increase your net worth? Do you want to increase the value of the contribution that you make with your life? Then maximize your connection to the church. And if you're not connected and you're not involved in a ministry of some type, and I know it's difficult during these times, but every person can be involved in a ministry. I've had people that are in their 80s or 90s say, well, Pastor, I don't have a lot of strength and abilities to do much anymore. I don't get out much. But I want you to know, all I can do is pray for you. I said, all you can do, that's the most important thing you can do for me, is pray for me. See, we belong to one another. You belong to each other. I even belong to Jeff up here. We are brothers in Christ. We're connected not only to the believers in this room, but to all the believers in the city, in the state, throughout this country, across the continent, encircling this planet. Every Sunday, as we gather together, I think of believers throughout the world who are right now worshiping as we are. Today in the United States, there are about 100 million people worshiping in church. And at this moment in Central and South America, multiplied millions more are worshiping God. In parts of Europe, where the clock is six, eight hours ahead, believers are gathering for their Sunday evening service. In parts of Asia, where the clock is 12 to 14 hours ahead, some believers have gathered right at this moment in the middle of the night because they're forced to meet under the cover of darkness. Across the planet at this very moment, millions and tens of millions of Christians have come together for the same purpose that brought us here this morning to worship the name of Jesus Christ. We are connected to them just as we are, you know, as we are connected to God. We're connected to one another throughout the world through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We belong to them. They belong to us. Just as we share our strength with one another here, we need to make every effort to share our strength with the global church. And we do that through our offerings. Someone said one time, well, Pastor, didn't we ever pay off that Lottie Moon thing? <laughs> Lottie Moon, our international Christmas offering. Right now, our Annie Armstrong, we're probably finishing up with our Easter offering for our North American missions in this country and Canada. And then in just a couple of weeks, we'll be taking up our Mother's Day offering for the children's home. Let me tell you something. I did not realize what we do as a, a, as a state, the Florida Baptist Children's Home, until I had the opportunity to go to Lakeland and take time to visit and to see what is happening, not in just that home, but all the other homes across the state, and to see how God is blessing through the resources and helping families through what we do together. So when you give your extra dollars over and above your regular offerings to the Mother's Day offering, realize that you're helping families in crisis and you're making a difference. I'm not here as an emissary of uh, 
the Florida Baptist Children's Home, but I've seen it work. I've seen their counseling help children in need. People that even in our own church have gone over to get the counseling they needed for their children who are going through difficult times. We have that ability. We have that strength. And here's a virtual biblical truth to hold on. You are not alone. There are times that you may think you are, but God has made provision for you. You're a part of the temple of Christ. You're a member of his body. So important. You're connected to his people. And even during times of COVID, some of our shut-ins, as a pastor, I would go up and I would knock on the door and I'd say, hey, I know we're dealing with COVID here, so I'm going to stand about 15 feet away from you. I'm going to stand out here in the yard. You stand in the door and we'll just talk a little bit. I'll have a prayer with you. See, I've gotten tired, I don't know about you, of every time I've picked up the phone and I called someone, well, because of COVID, we can't help you right now, you know? Now, I realize there are a lot of things going on with that, but I think it's become a big excuse. Let's not let it be a big excuse at our church to not minister to people. But, you know, let's do all that we can do. And so when we're connected to the one another, that increases your effectiveness, it increases your strength, it increases your worth. You know, you're not alone. As Brother Gary said last week in his message, message there is nobody that is, no, that is a nobody in the family of God. We all stand on level ground. We all stand on level ground. There's no room for elitism in God's church. Though no one will directly challenge this point, let's be honest, for most part we think of other churches that are, are right to the extent they are like us. And this is especially true of foreign churches. We hear about some of the so-called strange customs of African, European, and Asian congregations. We often shake our heads and wonder. I read about a pastor who attended a pastor's conference in Europe. And from the podium and during the group discussions, he heard a number of negative comments being made about the American church, about you know, how materialistic they are and how the preachers preach psychology and not scripture, and how the services focus on entertainment rather on worship. And the, and the list went on and on and on as he listened to these conferences. And that evening when everyone went out to eat, the pastor was shocked to see several pastors order a beer, light up a cigar. And he thought, how in the world could they judge us? These Christians are worldly, even if they're Christians at all. Well, this pastor, like Many American evangelicals came from a background, even like I did, in which materialism is not considered sinful, but beer and tobacco are. So who's right and who's wrong? Well, I could spend the next half hour discussing which is worse, materialism or beer, but I doubt any of us would change our minds. And to tell you the truth, neither is likely to work in your favor, so one can't really be chosen over the other. But that as it may be, when you look at the church throughout the world, you'll see that we are different from one another. Well, I realized that years ago when I went to Trinidad on a missions conference. Oh, I remembered how different the music was, the customs were, and everything else. And, 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 uh, and I preached my 30-minute sermon, and then they said, are you done? And I said, well, I guess not. So I preached another 30-minute sermon. They said, are you done? I said, well, I preached another 30-minute sermon. And see, they had a custom that you had a 90-minute message. Now, in America, you're already going to get a Lancey, so he's got about five minutes left. Yeah. Is he going to get done? He's only on point two. You know, barbecue places, calling my name right now. We're different. 
Our music is different. Church I came from, we had a contemporary service. We had a traditional service, very similar to what you have here, a kind of a blended style. We had a contemporary with a, a great band, and they, they, they still do that today, and services are about the same size each. And, and, uh, and, and it would really, really bother me. I had one lady sitting out the door, and she's one of the greeters. And, and, and we saw a little bit of an older couple come in, maybe in their 70s, and they're walking into the service at, at 1030, and she says, you going to that service, that rock and roll service? And they said, yeah, we love it. Our style of dress is different. I put a suit on because that's your custom, but I usually didn't wear that my, in the church I pastored. In fact, as a retired pastor, most of my clothes are T-shirts and shorts these days. But some of our cultural values are different. We need to remember that the American church is not God's template. We don't set the standard for the rest of the world. We also need to keep in mind that when we look at churches around us, our community has all kinds of churches, and it's wrong to look down towards the others. And most pastors, including myself, have been guilty of this from time to time. What we need to make sure is they're preaching Jesus. That the only way to salvation, the only way to heaven is through Jesus. We need to make sure that, 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 that they say that he is the only way. And that they still believe that sin is sin and that hell is hot and heaven is real. To me, that's what sets the standard of a true church. Not its worship style, whether it sings hymns or choruses or whatever it does, or whether it sings with a band or sings with a, a piano or sings a cappella. I'm thankful for growing up with the great hymns of faith. I was one of those guys that, you know, had the 1957 hymnal. You know, it was it was a blue cover, and and we'd have Sunday night singspirations. And people would call out numbers. I knew them all. 240, just as I am. Always number one was holy, holy, holy. And then 33, to God be the glory. That, you know, great things He's done. I loved it, and they changed it, man. That really bothered me. I had a hard time figuring out what number was what. But uh, I want you, I love that. And in and, and some churches, they preach expositionally, going verse by verse through the Bible, and other preachers, pre preachers preach topically, looking at the felt needs of the congregation. But, you know, I want you to know that we have to be careful that we don't think that we're the only ones that are right. You know what I like about McDonald's? We are talking about food just a moment ago. I got a picture of it up on the screen. I think I do. And uh, they are amazingly consistent. Right? They're amazingly consistent. I mean, it's going to not be as good as one another, but they're amazingly consistent from one location to the next. A Big Mac in Miami, Florida, is exactly like a Big Mac in San Paulo, Brazil. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. So no matter where you are, it's made the same, and it pretty much tastes the same. I like that about McDonald's. But do you know what I love about the church? We're not McDonald's. We're not a franchise from place to place, from next to next. We're not made from a cookie cutters or assembled on a conveyor belt. We're not only different from one continent to another continent. We're different from street to street. And, of course, our message is the same, that Jesus Christ came to the world to save the world. But our customs and our traditions vary from place to place. And I like that about the church. 
As Rick Warren said, it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. And as long as we're preaching salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, what difference do the externals make? The church of one culture isn't better than the rest. One style of worship isn't better than others. Elitism has no place in the church. Let's remember that we're all on even ground. Now, this is not just about snobbery, folks. In many churches, I've seen the reverse of elitism hold people back. The problem isn't always Christians looking down on others. The problem sometimes is that Christians are looking down on themselves. Some believers see themselves as second-class citizens. They'll say, well, I had an alcohol problem, and I messed up my life, so I can't be worth anything to God. I went through a divorce, and, 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 my, and, and everything went bad, so I must not be worth anything to God. Or I had a great business, and I lost all my money, so I must not be of anything to God. God's message of equality applies to you as well. Listen to what Paul said in verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So how does this apply? How does this apply to our church, to Central Baptist Church? Several ways. First of all, regardless of where you fall on the socioeconomic scale, you're an important part of this church. Reiterating what Brother Gary said last week, there's nobody that's a nobody in the church. Secondly, regardless of your ethnic and cultural heritage, you're an important part of this church. You know, gentlemen that attends O'Galley First Baptist, he and his wife became part of the church, and he came up to me one day, so he, said, he says, Pastor, I joined this church. He says, I don't read very well. I don't follow the Bible very well. I really can't pray very much in public. I don't know what I can do, but can, can you give me a ministry? Well, I thought about it, and we have chairs there where we have to set them up and take them down a couple times a week, which is, you know, is a ministry all in itself. But I said, one thing we don't have is we don't have someone who comes and puts the offering envelopes in the backs of the seats along with the pens. And, and, and I need someone to do that. Well, I would show up to church about 8.15, service would start about 9, I think it was, and, and I would see this gentleman named Carl. He was there going from seat to seat, putting pens, and never, and envelopes, never missing a Sunday of his ministry. And I, and I would affirm him and I'd say, listen, what you are doing is important to the kingdom of God. Let's never, ever say that no one's important to the kingdom of God. Regardless of your past, you're accepted. You have something to offer this church. And here's a vital biblical truth to grab hold of. We are equal in the eyes of Christ. As the saying goes, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Because of God's grace, we don't look down on anyone, and that includes ourselves. We've all been brought near to God through the blood of Christ. Point three, very quickly. We are all responsible 
for reconciliation. We are responsible for reconciliation. Look at verse 14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Some races have always believed that they're superior to others. The first century Jews had this, you know, tendency. In the synagogue, Jewish men would commonly pray, Lord, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile or a woman. The Greeks were no better than that. Cicero wrote of them, as the Greeks say, all men are divided into two classes, Greeks and barbarians. Plato said that the barbarians were, by their very nature, our enemies. So the world has always been filled with racial division. We see that here right now in America more than any other time, I think. And from the beginning, Christianity has been about racial reconciliation. It was at the heart of Paul's message. He wanted the Jews and Gentiles to live as one. And he uses the phrase about Christ having broken down the walls of hostility that used to separate us. And this term, the wall of hostility, refers to the way the temple in Jerusalem was organized. I'll put a picture up on the screen. The outer temple consisted of a series of courts. And he realized there was a court of the Gentiles, which was large, but no one could enter. Then there was a court of Israel. And then there was the court of priests. And then finally the court of the Holy of Holies. And each court was increasingly exclusive. Gentiles could only go into the first court. Jewish women could only go no further than the court of the women. And unless he was a priest, Jewish male could go no further than the court of the Israelites. Paul refers to the wall of separating the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple. Now, you remember when Jesus was on the cross and what happened when he gave his last breath? That, that screen that separated man from God through the Holy of Holies was torn in two. The symbol there that no longer would we be ever, ever separated from a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, we have identical access to God. And that's why when you have a pastor, it's a little bit different than having a priest. A lot different. A pastor can pray with you, but he can't necessarily pray for your sins to be absolved. You have to do that. You have to take care of that with God because you can go, Abba, Father, and the Father says, Yes, son. Yes, ma'am. I'm listening. Why could he do that? Because of Jesus, who has bridged the gap and brought into the area of reconciliation and taken away all of our sins that kept us from a relationship with God. So we need to, as a church, look past the barriers, acknowledge the value of every human being, and to treat others with dignity and respect of every race, of every culture. We open our doors to everyone. And if, if someone doesn't feel welcome here, we failed. And it's that simple. We need to make an effort to reach everyone. Secondly, we need to strive to live in reconciliation with one another. Richard Halverson said, Why should the world believe in a reconciliation when it doesn't see the church reconciled? We can't make a difference in the world until we love one another. So being part of the church is all about 
loving one another. And we're doing that, we maximize our strength and we maximize our effectiveness. And because we are connected to one another, we recognize that we are all equal in the eyes of God. And so in recognizing this equality, we strive for reconciliation with everyone, breaking down the barriers of race and class and all other forms of hostility that keep people apart. Growing up in Indian Town, You may have to look that up on the map. <laughs> I remember there was a place where the blacks would live. It was called Booker Park. There was a separate store that the blacks would shop. And I still remember in my mind seeing men, women, and coloreds over three restrooms at the service station. How terrible. You know the sad thing about it? The church has been part. We don't want to admit it, but we've been part of some of the things that have happened in terms of not being loving toward people that are not like us. Not like us in color or background. Connection is our first word. We're connected to one another. Put that up on the screen. Connected. We're equal and reconciliation. Connection, equality, and reconciliation. That's who we are as God's people. And I pray today that if somehow you're out of sorts with the church, that you'll get in sorts. If somehow that you've got something against someone, that you'll go to them and you'll make it right. And then you'll get in fellowship. And that this church, Central Baptist Church, will be known by its love for one another. It's love for people of all races and colors. It's love for this community. And somehow that if you have any way been part of a problem, that right now you'll get it right with God. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're a God of love and you're a God of grace. You're a God of reconciliation. And I pray today that you would just work in the lives of people here today. I pray that your word has been heard and that, Lord, your, her, your word will be obeyed and that people will realize exactly how beautiful the church is and we must not taint it by unreconciled lives. Father, I pray for anyone that doesn't know Christ as Savior. This will be a day in which they say, yes, I want Christ in my life because I want to live in community with other people who can hold me up and help me. Thank you for your grace and your love. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song this morning, and I'll be here at the front to pray with anyone who would like to come and make a decision for the Lord.